Welcome to Postpartum Stories with Steph, candid conversations with mums and sometimes dads about the precious yet chaotic time that is life after birth. My name is Steph, woman, warrior, wife, mother, coffee lover and feminist. I'm a postpartum doula in Melbourne and you can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph with a PH. Through this podcast, I will chat to women and birthing people in a real and raw way about their postpartum experience. So sit back, grab a cuppa, even if it's cold, take off your bra and enjoy. On today's episode, I'm joined by Georgie Fitzpatrick. Georgie is a Romanian-born, New Zealand-based mum of two. Uh, She works with women and birthing people with a focus on um, pelvic floor health and returning to exercise postpartum. She teaches yoga. She teaches kanga. She does a lot of things. (laughs) Um, We have a really, really great talk about her journey postpartum, uh, how she was really well supported by her in-laws. She basically created this postpartum bubble um, that just sounds so blissful and so amazing. Um, But she also shares around how she did feel quite isolated because she was in a new town in New Zealand after her first son was born. And uh, she talks a little bit about, you know, trying to connect with new mums Uh, in postpartum. Uh, We also have a really good conversation around autism because when her second son was about, I think she said six weeks old, uh, her firstborn son was diagnosed with autism. And so that's a huge thing to sort of um, mentally prepare yourself during postpartum for. And she talks really openly and honestly about that. And I really thank her for that conversation because I think that's something that a lot of parents um, go through. And it's just nice to sort of um, listen to the stories of, of people with children with autism. So yeah, I really hope that you enjoyed today's show. I'll leave all of Georgie's details in the show notes. Um, and please, if you if you like this one, leave us a review on iTunes uh, and even write some nice words if you're feeling generous. Okay, bye. So Georgie, thank you for taking the time. I know that you're super busy with your two little boys. Are you able to tell me just a little bit about who you are and um, your family? Oh, thank you, Steph. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to this. Super exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I am originally from Romania. Um, I moved to New Zealand almost six years ago. Um, Hubby's from here. And I was very heavily pregnant at the time, um, basically at the cutoff of being able to fly internationally. And so I became a mum in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've had another baby. So I've got two boys, one is five and a bit, and the other one is two and a bit. Um, I am, it is very hard to describe what I do in a few words. So I... You can use more than a few. <laughs> I basically teach pre and postnatal um, classes. 
So I teach prenatal yoga. I'm currently teaching some antenatal classes as well and Kanga training, which is a postnatal fitness class. So that's for when Bubs is Earthside and um, babies get worn in ergonomic baby carriers throughout the workout. Um, and I've also started doing pelvic floor health workshops. And that's really where my passion is, um, especially at the moment as my kids are getting older. Mm-hmm. and settling into care um i find that yeah and i want to do more more of that in more one-on-one work with women mm-hmm. so are you able to um we'll probably talk about both of your postpartum experiences because i'm sure that one's very different to the other i'm just assuming <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that's what happens when when we have more than one child um but yeah can you talk about your first postpartum experience a little bit yes um so at the, when we moved here we moved to new plymouth which is where my in-laws live which is where my husband is from and we lived with my in-laws for about six months and that included some time before birth and then i gave birth at the hospital in new plymouth and then came home to um, their house Luckily, I have an amazing relationship with my in-laws. I love them to bits. And I didn't realize it at the time, but um, my mum-in-law did a lot of, um, prepped me quite a bit for postpartum without actively trying to. Mm -hmm. So just through like conversations and talking about her experiences, I didn't realize how much of it I was taking in. And so I came home and I clearly have this image of me laying on the couch. A couple of their friends had come over and I was talking about my birth. And I feel like that was the first time I really talked about my birth. And I, I didn't realize at the time how traumatic it had been. Mm-hmm. I was still on, you know, like kind of like relieved that it was over, that I had my baby here, that things were going well. Um, so it took some time for that to sink in. And I think I was really fortunate because I was living with them. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to <laughs> clean. I didn't have to cook, which, you know, no postpartum woman should have to do anyway. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that we often do because yeah. there's no support. Mm-hmm. So I was just weighed on, you know, like, and my mom-in-law, you know, she had, she had five births, but four um, living children. And mm-hmm. um, she breastfed all of them. She breastfed the last one until he went to school, basically. Mm-hmm. And she was very nurturing and very supportive. And so I remember being in the Lazy Boy and they would bring me drinks and snacks. And I didn't have to ask. They just mm-hmm. knew. Sounds My like dad-in-law. Heaven. It was amazing. It was heaven. so amazing. Um <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have to cook. I didn't have to do anything but, you know, rest with my baby who was waking up every 45 minutes. So I absolutely needed the naps mm-hmm. um, and, and just, just look after, after the baby and, mm-hmm. and chill. So, so how, long back you, now, how long were you mm-hmm. there for? Uh, we were there for nine weeks mm-hmm. after the birth. And after that, um, my husband got a job uh, somewhere close to Hamilton, which is where we are now. And so we moved and boy, did I have no idea what I was getting myself into, you know, leaving that beautiful support system. Mm. And I had met people there already through antenatal. Um, You know, we, some of us had started hanging out. Hubby has some um, 
high school friends there who also have kids. So yeah, we, we were we were starting to establish a, a little village and then we left. Mm. And I came to Hamilton where I knew nobody. Mm. And how did that go? <laughs> <laughs> it was a shock. But mm. I think we, we moved. So first we had to look for a house. So we came house hunting. We got into a house and then my husband basically went to work, you know, the next day kind of thing. And I was at home with a baby and I just remember it being terrifying. Mm. I was so scared. Um, I hadn't yet processed the birth and um, postpartum, like immediately postpartum when I didn't get to be with my baby for a few hours because I was in theater. And I didn't realize at the time, but you know, now in hindsight, I realized that a lot of that kind of set me up for a lot of just not not a lot of self-confidence um and worrying whether i was going to be good enough whether i was going to be able to look after my baby what if something happened to him i didn't know anyone there who would i ask for help hubby was away he still works there it's like a 20 minute drive 20 mm -hmm. to 30 minute drive <clears throat> so he couldn't even like come home in a heartbeat um and there were all of these interesting things playing in my head that at the time were concerning, but now I realize that a lot of women go through it. I just mm. didn't know and no one had told me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it was really difficult. Yeah. And I think the 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 stuff you just said about, you know, not being sure you're good enough and being worried. I think that, yeah, I, I would say probably every mother thinks that, but maybe we don't talk about it enough. Um, I know a lot of women have this, um, fear of dropping the baby and it's a completely irrational fear like if I trip down that step and I fall and yeah just all these sort of bizarre situations come into your head don't they that's right that's right and it makes you wonder like what's happening to me I used to be uh you know I used to be a functional human being mm. <laughs> um yeah you're functioning it's, it's now tricky. on a whole other level <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely so how did you go with, um, with breastfeeding and stuff like that? If your mother-in-law was, you know, a seasoned breastfeeder and supportive Yes, she was. <laughs> yes, and she, she used to be a La Leche League leader as well. So she had lots of knowledge. She worked with women. Um, breastfeeding did not actually require any assistance from anyone. We mm -hmm. just, I, looking back now, I am so grateful because, um, you know, considering everything that I'd been through, that, that would have, that would have been quite hard as well. Mm. I guess I would have had the support in those early days there if, if it was necessary. Um, the support wasn't so much necessary in terms of latching on or, you know, it was more um, in just encouraging me to start listening to my intuition, mm -hmm. feed on demand, uh, be relaxed, uh, take it easy, those sorts of things. Though I did not really have, I, I, I did not, I was so hung up on the six weeks. So at six weeks we were still there mm -hmm. and um, I was so hung up on the six weeks for things going back to normal. Mm -hmm. So between inverted commas, um, and for, um, yeah, just me wanting to have sex again, um, getting back into 
working out because I had done that prior and mm-hmm. I was very active in pregnancy as well. And so I remember like I had those little hand wipes and um, I'd already started doing um, like working out. Mm-hmm. And looking back now, I cringe because <laughs> why? Why that pressure? Mm-hmm. I, and and I know I understand. In some ways, I feel like when when other women tell me that now, I realize I think part of it is just about taking some control back. Mm-hmm. Um, so much has changed, and so much revolves around another human being that you almost just want something from you know that only involves you and it's for you. Mm-hmm. Um, something of your old self back, mm. and I think that's understandable. And I think a lot of us just need that permission to actually it's okay it's okay to not even want to do it it's okay to just blob and survive for a while yeah lie in bed and cuddle your baby (laughs) that's right that's right yeah Mm. um and so how did how did you sort of prepare you said that your mother-in-law kind of prepared you for postpartum was there anything that you sort of did specifically or was she just sort of I don't know what was she doing um, she, she was talking to me about breastfeeding. She was talking to me about the family bed. So she'd snuck some ideas of like, you know, maybe you'll want to take your baby into bed with you. I remember reading this book that I, I threw in the trash after mm-hmm. Annie was born. Uh, I remember reading I think I know book. what book it is. <laughs> well, it wasn't one of the popular ones. Okay. Maybe it's not the one I'm thinking. That I hide behind other books at the bookstore. Now. Yeah. Um, it was, it was written by a man. Okay. Um, and it was talking about sleep training and it was saying how, oh, you just leave the, I mean, I don't remember the exact words, but basically it's like, oh, just leave the baby to cry for a little bit and they'll be, you know, they'll be able to sleep better. Mm. And I remember telling my husband that and me thinking, this was when I was pregnant, that that was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had my baby and I was like, no way. Mm. no way this sits right with me mm. and so yeah the book got thrown away and I think my mom-in-law must have been super relieved I don't I haven't asked her if I actually mentioned that to her but she would have probably been she probably would have died inside right <laughs> she did I'm sure if I did she definitely died a little inside and then was like <sighs> relieved when mm. uh, when I got rid of the book um so I she told me about literally she said you know go to a meeting when you get to Hamilton that can be a good way for you to meet other mums mm-hmm. um and she I remember just having conversations about like stuff like, and, and this will stay with me forever like me asking her so when will the baby because in my head I was going to breastfeed for six months and then after six months I'd look for work I'd go mm-hmm. back to work mm-hmm. um and I remember asking her, like, when do you know they're ready for solids? And, and she said, well, you know, in our experience, we just had our babies on our laps at the dinner table. And then one day they would reach for food, they would put it in their mouths, they would swallow it, and then we'd know they're ready. Mm-hmm. And all of those little things she told me through time that were so, like, common sense, very logic, easy. And I'd be like, oh, wow, that that makes so much sense. Mm. You know, there's no need to overcomplicate these things. Yeah. You know, this, yeah. You don't and have to sit there for hours making purees and force feeding. No, that's right. Spoon feeding and, and, <laughs> and no. And I just, and I knew that, you know, I think a lot of the stuff in terms of my parenting, a lot of the stuff was because that was the easiest thing for me to do, mm-hmm. you know, like in terms of me having to cook 
for myself, for our family and separately for our baby, that would have been such a hurdle for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when she said, no, we just fed them what we were eating as well. I was like, wow, this is cool. That's easy. Mm. <laughs> I only have to make one meal for the whole family. Mm. Um, yeah. So just little things like that, that she told me over time. And I also remember the time when we just moved to Hamilton and it was stinking hot and um, the living room was upstairs. So it was even hotter than the rest of the house. And I called her saying like, you know, what's going on with my baby? He's feeding so much. And I don't know that I'm, you know, do I have enough milk? And she said, well, how much water are you drinking? And I was like, oh, it's really hot. I'm drinking a lot of water. And she was like, your baby's thirsty as well. Breast milk mm. is not just food, you know, it's like, it's his way of staying hydrated as well. And I was like, oh my God, that had not even crossed my mind, Steph. Like, yeah. How <laughs> what, has he, that not he crossed has my thirst? mind? <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. It's mind blowing. Like, mm. what? Your baby is so thirsty and hungry. They're just not having, they're not just having breast milk for kicks. Like, mm. oh. Yeah. I, I realized I had so much to learn. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a first time mom. Like, yeah, there's all those little things that you aren't to know. I remember um, with my son, it probably took me about, I don't know, probably about six or seven weeks before I realized when I was changing his nappy that I needed to like point his <laughs> little thing downwards yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out why he kept leaking out of his nappies and I was just like what is wrong with these nappies and <laughs> then my husband was like what are you doing at a black up changing his nappy and yeah he was like um yeah it helps if you point the thing down and <laughs> since then we've been fine so <laughs> you know no yeah. one there's no books about that <laughs> no no. Waldo and I have like this little thing where when I change his nappy, it's like legs up, bum up, nappy, legs down, penis down. So like, I hope it's okay to say that um, in a podcast. It's fine. I, I don't know why I got nervous to say penis. It's totally fine to say that. <laughs> um, and he, he will do it, you know, with me step by step. Yeah. So he knows that's a crucial part of, uh, part of it. I think mm-hmm. I actually, my mom had told me because she only raised girls, but she also looked after my nephew. Mm-hmm. And I think she must have, you know, figured this out at some stage and thought, mm, I'd best pass this on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, once you got to Hamilton, how long did it sort of take you to feel a bit more settled? And did you find you know, some, some friendships or some sort of sense of community? Um, it took a while. It, I mean, it took a, quite a long time to really find my village. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I was still learning who I was and, and how, you know, the sort of people that I wanted to have around. Um, at the start, I kind of threw myself into a million activities to find people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the awesome things was one of, uh, my husband's um, friends from uni, um, they were living in Auckland and they moved to a little town close to Hamilton. And so she didn't really know a lot of people here either. And so we started to hang out and she was the one who started to um, show me a little bit more about baby wearing. Cause at mm-hmm. that stage I'd only tried a stretchy wrap and she gave me her May dye, which is like kind of a step up. 
um, from that. And, and we, we are really good friends now. Mm. Um, but on top of that, I started going to a walking group. Um, I went to all sorts of like play groups, music groups, man, just everything. La Leche League. Um, yeah. then you're pimping he yourself out. <laughs> oh, so, so much. Eh? So much. Um, and then it wasn't that long, uh, into it that, so he would have been about six months, seven months, seven months that I did the course to become a Kanga trainer. Mm-hmm. And once I started running my classes, uh, you know, I found a whole nother community and, and some of my best friends, um, mm-hmm. I have met through Kanga. So, but yeah, I just threw myself out there but I also remember having days when I would just put Annie in the stroller but always have a carrier underneath just Mm -hmm. in case and going through town we lived really close to the center and um, I found this really beautiful little cafe that reminded me of Europe which you know another consideration was the fact that I was so homesick Mm. Um, and yeah I, in fact, I went home like a month after for the first time, just Annie and I on the airplane, me and an eight month old. Mm. Um, and, and it, yeah, and I spent a lot of time in that cafe or like getting takeaways and just kind of walking through the streets, which is, you know, good for me to get to know the city as well, but sometimes felt quite lonely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one time I went to this playground, Annie wasn't even playground age. I went to this playground um, close to home and um, he had fallen asleep and I had my Kindle with me. So I was reading and I had this um, woman approach me and, and she was with a group of friends and she said, Hey, you know, if you don't mind, like we have a walking group every Monday, would you be interested in joining us? <laughs> That's so nice. That was amazing. Yeah. Isn't that I like? It's like when um, I did like a prenatal, not prenatal, a, a baby yoga thing mm-hmm. and I did it with a friend of mine and we kind of were like, does anyone want to come for coffee? And I think everyone was scared of us, but like you kind of have to try um, to sort of, yeah, open up the the doors to friendships, I suppose, because you can't just have babies in common like you need to sort of have other things to talk about and um yeah that's so good that they approached you (laughs) Mm, and that's huge what you just said like you know I was quite desperate at the time in many ways Mm. you know like desperate to to find my people but Mm. um you're right just because you are parents it doesn't mean that you are going to to bond because mm. you might not have anything else in com- common. Well, that's it. You'll have lots of stuff to talk about initially, but then it's, you get to a point where it's like, okay, so, so what else? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so with the, um, the Kanga training course, did you, do you think that that's something you would have done without having Arnie? Like if you weren't a mum? Probably not. Mm. No. So that's really interesting because that's like a huge part of your life now, right? It is. Yeah. In fact, it's been five years since the course, just a few days ago, Mm. Um, five years. Mm. It's always really interesting to me that how, you know, what we kind of are passionate about and what we enjoy doing just changes 
so dramatically after childbirth? <laughs> Again, not something that I was even aware of. And now I see it all the time. Like I'm my, my degree is um, I'm an economist, <laughs> uh, which makes me laugh every time I say it. Um, but my passion was for tourism before babies. And so I've worked in travel agencies and hotels and I've been a, a tour guide and a tour director. So like taking people through in, you know, like those big buses, like 40 plus people. Mm -hmm. um, and I mostly work in France before, um, before I got pregnant. And when I got pregnant, I still worked for the first um, six months, just oh, touring and long days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I worked with my clients were, um, maybe most in their sixties, even like some in their eighties, um, the youngest probably late forties or something. And sometimes they would get injured and I'd be called and I have to go to the hospital and I have to, oh, you know, like, mm. it was pretty full on. And I did that. Um, yeah. Until I was like, no, this is enough. Yeah. This is enough. But I really loved that job. Mm. I really loved it. And I thought that I would want to be a travel agent maybe here because I'd looked into the whole being a tour guide in New Zealand, but it's not the same because you have to be the driver too. And I was like, mm -mm, no, I cannot do two things um, at once, you know, that requires so much focus. And, mm. um, and I thought, yeah, I would want to go to the travel agency. And then I realized that it's actually long hours. The pay is not amazing. And nope. Mm. <laughs> no, you maybe. Get, you probably get more enjoyment out of what you're doing now, right? Oh, so much, so much. And, and that was a, that was the thing. A big part of me going to Kanga was, first of all, I had a baby who only wanted to sleep on me. Mm -hmm. I still was keen to exercise and I also was keen to meet people. So Kanga actually covered all of those. Mm. Um, yeah. So how does postpartum compare the second time around? The second time around, I had a home birth. Mm -hmm. and it was amazing and um the problem was that the support wasn't as good and that my in-laws are now three hours away mm -hmm. so I can't really just pop in in a heartbeat but um what we did do because Barney only took a week off work um they commuted for about five weeks basically oh wow what every day They'd go away for the weekend mm -hmm. and be here for the week. Okay. So they'd stay for the week when, uh, when Barney, my husband, was at work. And mm -hmm. they'd leave for the weekend to have a rest at home mm -hmm. um, while he was obviously off. And then they'd come back. And so they did all the kindy drop-offs and pickups and all yeah. of that stuff for the first few weeks. And it was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, we also had, um, I was going to play center at the time and we had play center families, um, bring us meals, um, mm -hmm. for a week. I also had frozen meals because I knew that, you know, that would be really helpful. My husband also cooks. So generally even now we alternate, um, evenings. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to do a lot of that. Um, so, and I, and I didn't feel as much like I needed to, I was quite happy to just, be breastfeed my baby and interestingly enough the second breastfeeding journey was a lot um, more interesting in many ways the first time I thought I didn't have enough milk but I fed Annie until he was about three um, mm -hmm. when I was pregnant with Oswald um, but the second time around I had oversupply which I was not expecting because mm -hmm. I thought well same boobs you know same yeah. body yeah um, 
Yeah. And it turned out that, you know, breastfeeding was quite tricky. There were only certain positions that he was happy in. And it took a while for me to realize that oftentimes I'd have to get up, feed and jiggle at the same time to kind of distract him. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily I was an avid baby wearer by then. And I tried breastfeeding in a carrier and it was great. Mm-hmm. At first, but once we got the hang of it, it became one of my go-tos that kind of upright position. Mm seemed to cope better with it for some reason um I was also incredibly fortunate to have a midwife who was a lactation consultant mm-hmm. and she was oh my god I love that woman forever <laughs> um she was there for us and through a really hard time because we had a beautiful home birth but we ended up in um in Nico um mm-hmm with um Waldo because by the end of the day that first day after he was born so he was born at 4 24 in the morning um and by the evening he was struggling to breathe and feed at the same time mm-hmm. he ended up uh, needing to go like to need support with breathing be on on one of those machines a CPAP machines for mm-hmm. more than 24 hours <laughs> um mm-hmm. so that was not that was not easy. We also had a really passive aggressive nurse there um, who made it really hard for us. But what happened was my, you know, our midwife was so incredibly amazing. The first time we got there to the hospital, she actually basically debriefed us on what they were going to say. And I kid you not, that that was exactly what they offered to us. Oh, wow. And they offered us, you know, like they, they offered us um, antibiotics and stuff without actually having done any blood tests mm-hmm. and we declined. And I remember saying to that woman, you know, that I don't think that's um, the best course of action at the mm-hmm. moment, like mm-hmm. let's wait. And she said, is that um, the best thing for you or for him? Like, oh, do you wow. have your best interest or his best interest? So that was pretty awful. Yeah. Um, and looking back now, I should have written a letter of complaint, mm. but I was so relieved to be out of there and to hopefully never have to go back in. Yeah. Um, and so desperate to get back to my bubble. Mm. Um, but it was a really rough time and we were lucky. We had Kelly who really advocated for us, who was really firm um, with them as well, who supported me through breastfeeding because um, once he was okay with breathing, they said, well, we, we need to establish breastfeeding before you were able to go. And I remember being in the chair with Waldo and having another nurse basically like watching me mm. and, and asked me questions like, oh, so this is your second bit. So did you breathe, breastfeed the first time? Oh, and how was that? And, and almost like, I don't know if, you know, that couldn't have been her intention, but at the same time, she was making me doubt myself. Like, mm. yes, I did breastfeed, you know, for three years. Like, mm. I, I know I can do this. It's like an interrogation. Um, <laughs> it was, it was. And Kelly was like trying to help me latch on. And then we went off, we were, um, we could leave um, into a, a private room. Mm-hmm. And so we went in there and my mom-in-law was with me. Um, Barney had gone to get some, some stuff for the night. And um, my mom-in-law was like, I had a syringe with some express milk and I was going to offer Oswald that. And my mom-in-law was like, do you just want to offer the breast? Just see what happens. You know, you've got this in case, he, you know, he doesn't latch on. And um, we were talking and I was really relaxed. Like all of a sudden I felt like I could breathe normally. Mm. And he latched on and fed for like 15 minutes. And I just 
wanted to do a happy dance. <laughs> so good. It's amazing um, how much easier breastfeeding is when you don't have someone standing over you and watching and interrogating you, right? Right. Yeah, I know. Who would have thought? Mm. Yeah. Oh, you um, poor thing. Yeah, so that was a bit rough, you know, in, in talking about it now I realized it was it was not easy, especially mm. after getting the birth that I wanted. It almost felt like a slap in the face. Mm. Um, but we got back to our bubble and it was, it, it was great. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we went, I remember in those early days and I talk early days, like weeks, mm. um, even when I started going out a little bit, going to um, friends' houses and actually having to lay on the floor to breastfeed because um, sideline breastfeeding was, you know, what worked best for us. Mm. And yeah, it was, yeah, I, I, I actually had to avoid going out much in public because I was so stressed out that um, feeding was going to be an issue. Yeah. And I, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to go through that stress, which is probably a good thing because it, it limited how much I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's also not a good feeling to sort of feel stressed if you are out and you know at some point you're going to need to breastfeed. Um, I had a just a few days where my son um, just was sort of not latching very well and kind of almost breast refusal, breast refusing. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was saying to my husband, oh, I meant to go for a coffee with some other mums, but what if he won't latch and what if this and what if that and I won't have a bottle and yeah, it, it's really hard. And then they sort of, well, he got over it very quickly, which was good. But um, yeah. yeah, it's it's daunting. It is. It absolutely is. Mm. Um, so you would have probably had some more, like a, a more friends, more community second time round in Hamilton? Absolutely. Yeah. And I had... Um, one of my really good friends came uh, to the hospital and brought me this massive box of goodies, including those um, very <laughs> interesting looking hospital undies that were awesome. Oh, I love and, those. <laughs> they were so oh, comfy. comfy. <laughs> yep. And uh, then she also brought me one of those um, shirts where you can put baby in. So it's not a carrier. Mm. Um, but I, you know, that, that was really nice because I could, I could put them in there and do a skin to skin and yeah, yeah. I definitely had a lot more, a lot more support and friends who had, had kind of just had babies themselves. So I had an expectation of things being difficult, um, adding another member to the family, how the, eldest child would cope and so I didn't put any unnecessary pressure on myself I feel because I just expected things to be hard but normal hard not Mm -hmm. like why is it is it just me struggling kind of thing Mm. so yeah Yeah. and was it was it good having your in-laws did they stay with you for the the week like they stayed in your house yes so it didn't feel you didn't feel like it was too crowded or anything like that no. And at the time we were, so before we bought this house, we were living with for about three-ish years, we lived with my brother and my sister-in-law mm-hmm. um, who don't have kids yet um, in a massive house. So, you know, they were at one end of the house, we were at the other end of the house and we would meet in the kitchen and the lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, you know, they came in, it was like, man, a couple of people who were actually super helpful. Mm. So, yeah. And it was nice to have uh, my brother, and my sister-in-law as well. You know, my brother-in-law works shifts, so he could, um, he could help sometimes during the day as well um, and have other arms to hold baby or, mm. you know, um, sometimes, you know, I'd leave Waldo with them and I'd just go pick honey up by myself, which was great. I didn't have to put the little baby in the car seat and go, you know, get him out and get him back in and all yeah. my goodness. Um, so, so I did, yeah, I did have a lot of support and, um, I also found myself being a lot more relaxed and I do think that the births impacted my early parenting mm. um, with Anya was constantly you know um, on edge mm. I remember being uh, when Anya was about three months old I started going to Zumba literally across the road from where we lived mm -hmm. and I would look through the big glass um, walls and I'd picture like fire truck coming or an ambulance <laughs> so like you know something happening to my baby because mm. I wasn't there I needed to be with him hundred percent of the time yeah. you know, to make sure that he was okay. Mm. Um, whereas with Waldo, I was a lot more relaxed mm. and I could enjoy him so much more, you know? And just... I think it, it takes time to be able to leave your baby for the first time, even if it's just yeah. a half an hour, an hour, it takes a while before it starts to feel like you can completely mm. relax. And knowing that that's okay too. Yeah. When people say, oh, just leave your baby and go have some time to yourself. But if you're going to go away and have some time to yourself and just think about your baby or be upset because, yeah. you know, then what's the point? That's right. Maybe and especially if you're breastfeeding too, it can be hard to sort of leave for longer than, you know, an hour or 45 minutes yeah. as the case may be sometimes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you've got all these yeah. oxytocin hormones and boobs leaking mm. and all that sort of stuff. So. <laughs> yes, because I actually had leaking boobs this time. The first time I could never feel let down. I never, you know, uh, never needed nursing pads or anything like that. But the mm. second time I was like, whoa, I remember putting on a top and a minute later I'd have a wet patch. And I'd be like, mm. oh, bloody hell, I need to change this now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, that was interesting. And also the other thing that happened, um, when Waldo was about six weeks old, uh, I'd reached my limit and I told my husband that I think we needed to take Annie for a speech assessment. Mm -hmm. Um, that was after a, a long time, I would say probably at least a year of people just telling me that because I was speaking Romanian to Annie, um, that he's bilingual and bilingual kids take longer to start talking. And, you know, I had my nephew who didn't speak until he was maybe three to three and a half. Mm. Um, but my gut instinct was telling me that something was not right. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so we took him to the SLT and she noticed some signs that he could potentially be on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the best time in terms of dealing with that because I was so early postpartum. Mm. Um, but we just, you know, we just went, we just went with it yeah. and we dealt with it. And um, I'm now relieved that I finally pushed and, and went and did it because we could still be here wondering you know and, and all of a sudden a lot of his behaviors um were explained but mm. we didn't know any different yeah we yeah. didn't know any different he was he was our first baby and we just assumed that those things were just normal things children do and you know he was making eye contact and um yeah he was very um, loving and 
we, we don't know anything about autism really. Mm. Um, but yeah. Um, that's yeah. a big thing. To, yeah. That's a, a, you know, a huge thing to have to go through with a young baby as well. And, you know, I can't imagine what that's like, but I'm sure that there's a lot of other parents out there who have, you know, had similar situations, but, you know, like good on you to be that early postpartum and to sort of call it like, you know what, I need to follow my, my gut and my mm. instincts here for Arnie. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and how did that sort of impact the rest of um, those sort of first few months with, um, with Oswald? I feel like for a lot of it, Arnie was the main focus, which is, you know, not ideal when you have a newborn baby mm. and you feel like they should be your main focus. But uh, I just, it, you know, it couldn't be helped because mm. I just, it, you know, you, you when you have a diagnosis or when you are seeking a diagnosis, you know, you're just constantly thinking, what does this mean? You know, mm. what does this mean long run? What does this mean when he's older and, you know, he can, can he go out on his own? Can he do, can he be independent? What is he ever going to talk? Like um, he was, he was saying words and stuff, but he was just not putting sentences together. And um, a lot of, a lot of the stuff he was saying was just um, echoed. Mm -hmm. um, so phrases that he'd heard over and over, um, he wouldn't use the right pronoun, which I know is, um, happens when you know they're around two and stuff but he was nearly three and a half mm. he was actually three and a half at that stage um so yeah you just you have days months probably when you're wondering what what is actually what does this all mean and then talking to my family who are not here but talking to them on skype and you know romania has got that's got a lot of issues <laughs> but one of them is that you know this sort of stuff is not very openly talked about and so my family kept telling me oh, he's fine whatever that means mm. um and then it, for me that that annoyed me because mm. I was like well it's not that he's not fine you know mm. but he's got these um difficulties and I want to know how I can support my child because yeah. I feel like that is my duty as a parent especially now um I need to, you know, to help him succeed, basically, mm. what was, was what was in my head and also letting go of what I felt that would look like, you yeah. know, because we have these things like, oh, my child is going to be this and they're going to do that. But what if they're just an average person? Who, <laughs> totally you know? fine if they are. Yeah, that's if they're, right. You know, I think my sort of thinking is if they're a kind person, and you, you know they're respectful then average is totally okay right like <laughs> yeah and i right. think you know your friends and family are probably well intentioned to say he's fine because they want to put you at ease but i totally understand that can be frustrating when deep down you kind of know like yes he's fine but you know yeah. there, there's some other things going on here that's right and just getting to know your child when you thought you knew them, but then you realized that there were all of these hidden things that you were not aware of, you know, like how does he perceive the smell? Um, how, you know, does, what, what is his um, hearing like? What, mm -hmm. you know, what is overwhelming to him? Mm -hmm. um, because it was never like, Annie would never, let's say, cover his ears when there was a loud noise or freak out about it. Um, we could go to malls where, you know, you've got all, <laughs> sensory overload and he'd be fine 
Mm. Um, but there were obviously, and there are obviously other things going on with him that we now can see, but there's mm. also that hidden part, you know, like I was saying the other day, I just want to be in his shoes for a day mm. to experience the world the way he does, because I think that would really help me empathize even more with him. Mm. Um, I sometimes expect him to do these things, but I don't realize just how hard they must be for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I'm no, I'm not an expert at all on autism. I only know a little bit, but <laughs> I'm sure that it's going to sort of, you know, things are going to change as he gets older and, you know, yeah. um, even Absolutely. if you, even if you were to walk in his shoes today, it might be completely different you know, in a month's time or a year's time or that's true, you know, it's always going to be like a, a, a different sort of path. Mm. But how is he now? Like he's five. Yeah. He's five and a half. Uh, so we've held back from school. Mm-hmm. Um, but my thoughts were that I, that he had two terms of school before the big summer break because mm-hmm. he turns six and so you can you can um, they just have to be enrolled in school before they are six so I could potentially enroll him uh towards the end of November but then what would be the point he'd just have a few weeks another break and then next year would have to transition him again basically mm-hmm. so he seems ready for school he's just um his communication is a lot better but it's not great you know mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he may say something, but mean something else. So we do a lot. We, we are so used to him, hubby and I, and we just, he doesn't even have to speak. We know what he wants kind of thing. (laughs) So from that point of view, it was actually really good for us because we, we could communicate and support our child without him being very verbal, Mm -hmm. um, which requires a lot of skill Mm -hmm. and thinking outside the box. Um, he, um, he's, He's got a few friends um, and he, you know, he, with lockdown, he spends so much time with his brother. They actually have a really nice relationship at the moment. Yeah. And I think having Oswald was amazing for Arnie because now he's, he's got this little person at his level mm. who is a chatterbox. So mm-hmm. they're total opposites. Arnie, <laughs> very quiet. Oswald does not stop talking. Yeah. He, you know, he could have a conversation before he was two, which mm-hmm. to us was mind blowing because yeah. we kept looking at each other like, what is going on? <laughs> like complete opposites. <laughs> they are. How is that possible? Mm. Um, but we know it's very possible. Um, mm. So it's, it's been, he's been like Annie's little coach. Yeah. You know? and, so um, yeah. Yeah, and they are kindy together now, and they were playing together. They had set up like a, a picnic with those wooden toys and wooden um, foods and stuff, whatever. And oh, it was amazing. Mm. Um, so I mean, Annie's doing well, but he he's very bouncy. He's very much on the move, and that is how he processes information. So from that point of view, school will be a challenge mm. um, because he's expected, for some crazy reasons, to sit there and be still. Mm. Um, so we're doing a lot of work with his speech and language therapist, with Kindy, us, Bush School. So he goes to uh, an amazing, um, you know, um, outdoor school. It looks so cool. <laughs> I, I don't think we have that kind of thing in Australia. If we do, it's not mm. very well known. 
Maybe look, yeah, look into it. We've got a few now in New Zealand. Mm. Um, and it's just the best thing for him. He loves it. I mean, I can tell that it was a good fit because um, we didn't even have to transition him. The first session, I went with him over there. It's like half an hour out of town. And um, I stayed with him. And then I left and picked him up later. The second time he was like, nah, I'll go in the van because they have mm -hmm. a van going from Hamilton there. And off he was. Mm. And that's been it. I've Bye, never mom. Had to, yeah, <laughs> basically. And, you know, we get there and all of a sudden he's beaming and he sees one of his teachers. And I think she's like one of his first loves outside of the family. You know, mm. he really loves her um, because she's amazing. And uh, he sees her and he's like, and, you know, those social cues and, and stuff that's happening around him can be really hard for him to pick up on. Mm -hmm. It needs to be, he needs to get explicit uh, directions. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, you know, you might say hi to him and he might not say hi back. But I swear when he sees her, she always gets a beautiful high grace. Mm -hmm. And I know that she's special to him because mm -hmm. he feels like, I feel like he doesn't offer his words to just anyone you know yeah it's but they're obvious <laughs> it's reserved but he considers her important enough you know that he will make that effort for her yeah and um I think it's hard I used to think that my goal was to prepare him for this world and you know help him fit in and whatever and now I realize that I'm actually better off as much as possible and with other parents of children with special needs to um, raise more awareness and mm. help other people be more um, accepting of neurodiversity because mm. you know I don't know what it's like to be him he doesn't know what it's like to be me why does he have to be the one who complies to my rules why yeah. can't I meet him halfway at least you know yeah um, and you know we know that we need to do more of that in terms of a, a lot of you know like color ethnicity um, mm. neurodiversity you know we just we need to start doing better because mm. lots of people have suffered because of the what we perceive as normal or yeah yeah and it's like there can't be a one-size-fits-all approach to every child or every person and no. um <laughs> yeah like we have to sort of adapt and change things and like you said you can't expect him to sort of fit into your to what you think he should be doing like you know no, not at the cost can... of his happiness you know yeah. like you know you're miserable when even when you're in a group with people you can feel so lonely if you don't have much in common and you don't feel like you belong there but mm. you're trying so hard um yeah it's yeah it can be quite heartbreaking and I don't want that for him I don't want him to be always the one compromising who he really is so mm. that other people accept him I'm sure he'll find his people you know there are lots of there are lots of other people out there who are mm. similar to him in fact the boy he connected with at kindy is most likely on the spectrum as well and they hit it off when both of them were basically non-verbal you know like mm. they just had a few words and they never really needed a lot of words mm. and, and that's you know that's the beauty of it you don't we value communicate like verbal communication so much, but I think we could do with learning to listen better. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and understanding and like ways. body language and yeah. Mm. Um, mm. Well, you can tell by the way that you're, the, the way you speak about him that, you know, 
you're doing amazing and he's so lucky to have you as his mother um, mm. because, you know, how supportive you are of him is just really beautiful. I, I tell you, I, I am lucky to be his mum because, <laughs> boy, he has taught me so much. He's really helped me get over my shit, mm -hmm. you know, like stuff that I, what I thought was right and wrong and normal and not normal and all of that. He's just flipped and that's it all the thing, <laughs> right? like down. <laughs> our kids are sort of supposed to be our biggest teachers or we learn our biggest lessons from them. And I'm finding that, you know, yeah. less than two years in. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. Yep, cool. Yeah. Look, even yesterday we were at school and the teacher was explaining to them how to draw a lowercase j. And he was trying to, but it was really interesting. And, you know, he did a really good job considering we don't make him write at home or anything. And then he sat next to this girl very quietly. She did not say a word, but she was doing her g differently. And I only saw... And I think it clicked for him. And so he did it the way she was doing it. And it was perfect. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, just another example that it's not a one size fits all. Just because you think as a teacher that you do a um, caterpillar C and then go down and around or whatever. It doesn't mean that every child is going to click to that. Just like when I work with women and give them um, cues to connect to their pelvic floor People will choose the one that that helps them, mm. you know, that the one that resonates with them. Yeah, um, and you every, can't. Everyone learns yeah. in different ways. Like some people are more visual learners. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. he'll figure out what works for him. Clearly, he's already yeah. doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's mm. right. So good. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Georgie. I've loved this chat. It's kind of gone from like postpartum to childhood <laughs> and I'm totally fine with that because, I, you know, we need to have more conversations like this. And I think there's this stigma around autism um, mm. that really sucks because I know that anytime I Google anything about my child, the first thing that comes up is autism and it's like yeah. this big scary thing. And yes, you know, it, it can be a big scary thing, but you know, it, yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, the end of the world, I suppose. That's like right. that's, to me, that's how it's made out to be by a lot of um, people and, you know, the information that you receive about it. So, yeah. Mm. We so, just perceive anything that is different and outside our comfort zones is scary, you know, and mm. autism is like, you know, we don't know much about it in the first place. And it's, it's scary because yeah mm. it's different and yeah like I said that's what I think and um like and I think you you touched on something so important early when you said it's not a one-size-fits-all like if I wanted any you know if, if 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 a new parent got anything out of this or I like had to choose one thing it would be just that it's not a one-size-fits-all mm. oh yeah and absolutely we live yeah in our society we just like to compare so much mm. Um, and we think it's, it's, it's the thing to do, you know, yeah. all sorts of chats and milestones and things. And the reality is that our children sometimes don't meet those milestones when they're supposed to, you mm -hmm. know, they'll meet them in their own time. And, um, the, um, the Tereo word for, um, for autism is, um, in his own time and in, in space, mm -hmm. which I think is beautiful. That's so beautiful. 
It's, it doesn't sound like a, a death sentence or like a dead end or uh, something awful. It's like, yeah. just give them, just give them the opportunity and they were, they will flourish. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Hmm. Thanks, Georgie. Hmm. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please come over and say hi on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out. Uh, My handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H. That's where I'll be sharing podcast episode updates too. Hope to chat to you soon.